Welcome back to Booze and Jonathan, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Jonathan the Vampire Slayer and Jonathan the series one by one. We will be having uh, spoilers from previous episodes, but no spoilers for future episodes. In love with President McKinley, I'm Harrison. And still mad about being snubbed for Mr. July, I'm Jason. Harrison, what episode of Jonathan the Vampire Slayer are we watching this week? We are watching Jonathan the Vampire Slayer, Season 4, Episode 17, Superstar. This is the one where Buffy has to go to Jonathan for help, of course, to deal with a nest of vampires, and then... A mysterious demon begins hunting people near Jonathan's home. What will Jonathan do? Let's find out. Superstar was written by one of our faves, Jane Espenson, and directed by another one of our faves, Mm -hmm. David Grossman, and originally aired on April 4th, 2000. And here's Jonathan with our intro music. Jason, what are we drinking this week? Uh, audience, Harrison has once again been very generous with his booze, and in this case has made us some vodka martinis to match our Double O Jonathan vibe. Mm, Yes, uh, because once again we were, uh, out of gin and all we had was vodka. (laughs) They didn't need to know that. (laughs) But you were the one who threw me under the bus and said they were vodka martinis. They are! You asked me what we were drinking! (laughs) Alright, well, for a toast this week, I'm toasting Booze and Buffy. Because today, the day we're recording, June 6th, is actually the second anniversary of the very first Booze and Buffy episode to be released. Um, Literally this morning, I went, you know, that anniversary is coming up. I should check on when it is. And I like went into her thing and I was like, ah, it's today. Good to know that, uh, booze and Buffy and D day have the same anniversary. (laughs) It's what I always wanted. So here's to us. Cheers. What a delightful sound. That's a good martini, sir. Thank you. Um, I really should just go and put that in the calendar, like on, in the Google calendar. Um, before we dive into the episode, though, I do want to make um, one brief little announcement for listeners. Um, shouldn't affect listeners too much, but this week, the podcast, uh, we switched uh, the hosting from Audio Boom, which was where we hosted before, over to Podbean, um, which just... Just because it works a little better for us. No no dissing towards Audio Boom. They've been great to us the last two years. But um, uh, so it really shouldn't affect listeners unless you specifically went to Audio Boom to listen to the episodes, which if you did. Just go to Spotify, man. Right? Uh, those are choices that you made. And that's okay, <laughs> but weird. Um, but also, with uh, one of the benefits I didn't even realize of switching over is that we're now on Pandora. 
Oh, look at that. Yeah, we're in the big leagues. I, think, I mean, I think every other podcast was already there, but um, uh, we got approved this week. So, um, so yeah. When you said that you had an announcement, I was a little worried. It was like, I'm pleased to announce <laughs> that I've got a new co-host coming on board after with the next week's episode. I'm like, what? Oh, actually, it's this week's episode. Come in, Kenneth! <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like... I feel that if Harrison were to do that, it would be so in character for him to just do it like in the like at the beginning of a recording. It's like, well, now that that's out of the way, let's dive into the episode. I, you know, <laughs> and I'll just be sitting here with my mouth agape. Like, <laughs> now oh. that I know you're expecting it, I'll do it in the middle of recording. Like, I'll be like, I mean, that's a really interesting thought, Jason. But please, um, hold on. You're. <laughs> um. So yeah, we start out. Uh, oh, those are all the announcements. Um, <laughs> we start out in the. Um, uh, also, just shall we just end our bit now? Um, oh yes, we we, we don't yes, need to drag uh, it out. Yes, we are very much aware that Buffy is still the main character of this show. Um, um, but we, it was a fun bit. It was a fun bit. <laughs> Um, and I was like, we can keep it up the whole episode. And as we were watching the episode, I was like, fuck no, there's like actually shit we need to talk about, like in these scenes. But as with, <laughs> as with a lot of episodes, we start off in a graveyard. In a graveyard. Buffy and the Scoobies are, um, are patrolling. Uh, they're fighting vampires. Now, Buffy's hair. Is that's the first sign of trouble. Limped. It's the first sign of trouble. <laughs> Usually it's her outfit, but this week it's her hair. <laughs> Um, so yes, Buffy has her patented uh, something's wrong hair, which she also had in the last episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're they're fighting these vampires, and kind of our second indication that something is wrong is when um, uh, Anya and Xander like bring this vampire forth to Buffy that they've been struggling with, and Buffy does this kind of weird like pitiful stake. Willow tosses her the stake. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just like this half-hearted, like, oh no, like, like she's uh, yeah, ew, uh, ew, 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 ew. Um, very out of character. Um, but one of the vampires gets away. They follow it to where else? A crypt. <laughs> yeah. So far, uh, if you've got your uh, Buffy episode bingo cards, you're <gasps> you're getting really great right now. Oh, that would be fun. Buff, like Buffy bingo. Okay. I'm, I'm putting that in the back of my brain um, for a later date. But um, they go in and there's like, what, five vampires? Five vampires. Uh, feasting on some dude. A.K.A. Blood Orgy. Uh, <laughs> Will is very Willow's upset. words, not mine. Well, yeah, she's like, I know it's a blood orgy, but um, they should have napkins. <laughs> As all blood orgies should. And, well, you know, it's just cleanliness, which yeah. is next to godliness. Well, okay, well, there we go. There <laughs> But, um... Because vampires don't want to be near godliness. Famously. Um, <laughs> but, uh, they retreat. Buffy's kind of freaking out. She's like, I don't know if I can handle that many vampires. And you're like, what's going on, crimped hair Buffy? Right? <laughs> um, it is very... If you're not prepared, if you don't know what this episode is, I'm sure it is very, very jarring to be like, what the fuck? Buffy can handle five vampires. Um... But she's like, we need, we know who we need to go to. And we cut to them walking into a, um, the Luther mansion. Uh, <laughs> big mansion. Big mansion. Um, up to a fancy desk. 
And they're like, the chair is in pre-swivel position. Pre-swivel. Um, and they're like, we need your help. And they turn around. And who is it, Jason? It is our boy, our boy. Jonathan, a.k.a. Mr. Danny Strong. Ah. Who we have not seen since the season three finale, correct? Correct. I think the last time we saw him, he was um, uh, uh, he was protecting Cordelia yep. uh, when the school exploded. Um, so he's really come a long way. Um, and uh, then we cut to the credits, which are just... I mean, it's our normal credits, but they've they've spliced in shots of action, Jonathan. So I love that there are some that some of these shots are actually in the episode, like mm-hmm. Jonathan with the handheld cro- with the handheld crossbow. But then there's like the one where he's defusing a bomb, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then they, I think they. I think as as Buffy's going to do throughout its run, they take a jab at Angel and ha- and have it end have the credits end with Jonathan walking towards the camera in his long flowing coat. Yes, yeah. I mean it is directly recreating the end of the Angel yes. credits. Um, uh-huh. Beautiful. Honestly, the only way I think they could have topped this is if they had actually added Danny Strong into the opening credits for this episode. I know that's a budget thing, so they. Certainly or, weren't going to. Or instead of having any of the other characters, like just have Danny Strong, Danny Strong, <laughs> Danny Strong, and then the guest cast could be all of the normal characters. There's... Now I'm assuming that obviously for contractual reasons they oh, couldn't yeah. do that. But there is a uh, show only... that did do that, and I can't remember what it was. And this is great after having like the little um like the Cracker Jack moment from our last uh Buffy episode in which yeah. Uh, Eliza Dushku was credited as Buffy. Like that's yeah. that's fantastic. We're having some fun credits. Um, yeah. Um, maybe the last fun credits we'll ever have. And I, and I think I can't remember. I think one of my. Uh, I th- uh, no, we we have definitely on um, you know, a certain right. season six episode, you're, if nothing you're right. else. You're right. Um, but uh, and that's that's one of the things that I really love with this episode. Um, I feel that Jane Espenson and um. And, uh, oh boy, I almost said Drew Goddard. Um, <laughs> my bad, David Grossman. The other DG. Yeah. Um, that uh, he, um, I-, I think that he and she both had a lot of fun mm-hmm. making this episode. And that's honestly why um, I'm kind of like giving my opinion a little bit before uh, beforehand. But this episode's fun. It's fun. It-, it is so fun. And I think everybody had fun making it. Yeah. I also think the other thing that makes this work a lot is that uh, Jane and David trust the audience. Like, they just drop us in, and, you know, after four years of this, they're like, like, they trust you know, that we'll You know, shit it out. gets weird sometimes. Yeah, shit gets <laughs> weird. Um, and, um, so yeah, I appreciate that it's not really hand-holding. It's not like, Ooh, something's wrong. Like we'll get there, and we don't need, um, you know, we don't we don't need it hit over our heads like poor Karen gets. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so um, after the credits, they go to uh, they, they're Giles's apartment, and they are um, he's he's kind of sparring with Buffy. He um, he warns her to be careful about Southpaws. Um, so thank you as a Southpaw. Um, also, uh, 
Also, any movie starring Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> um, a lot though, that, though that one has Rachel McAdams in it. So, I don't know. It's a difficult one. That being said, I don't think she's in a lot of it. So, it's I, one of those... I've not seen the movie, but I think she dies, like, at the beginning. Because I think that's, <laughs> so, like, the plot. Why do I even need to see this damn movie? <laughs> I, think I don't. like, the plot is he's sad about it. And he's a boxer. I, I mean, I'd be sad about it, too. <laughs> Um, they're going through weapons. They're um, they're, they're also you know, um, I believe it's Anya who is snacking on a box of Johnnyos. Yes, she which is. is I have seen this episode. Um, maybe I've only seen it the one other time when I was doing my original Buffy watch through, but uh, I never noticed the Johnnyos before. I love it. It's but yeah. There's a lot of it in the episode. Some of it's more obvious. Yeah, but um, some it's more subtle like that. Mm-hmm. And um, if you haven't watched this episode, one, we're obviously giving you a ton of spoilers for it. Yeah. But two, um, when you do watch this episode, or if you do a rewatch, like make sure you check everything in the background because oh, yeah. it's it's fantastic, especially Xander's <laughs> Xander's dungeon. I um, I really identified with Xander though in this moment, which you know, not saying a lot. Yeah, that's but that's Anya's weird. Tr- Anya's trying to get one of those cartons of milk open, and it's those kind of old school cartons that you have to like peel back and then pinch for. Mm-hmm. They're awful. And she's like, help me with this. And Xander's like, no, I always tear it and get it all, like, like soupy. Which is... I I had the same struggle with it. Am I the only person who's never had problems with those things? Possibly. Like, I don't know. It's, it, it, yeah, it's always just been, like, tear and pinch. It's, it's never been a thing. Sometimes I would, like... Sometimes I would... Yeah, sometimes I'd tear and pinch and it was no big deal. And sometimes... It just didn't go right. And then I was clawing at it. I, I don't know. Like, did you ever have... I, I, I guess I had those a lot um, at lunch in grade school. So it's like, oh, it's an everyday thing when you had to do that. Um, nowadays, I mostly buy, like, my my milk by, like, the gallon in a mm. jug. And then um, basically what comes in, like, the cartons is, like, maybe whipping cream or something yeah. like that. Well, and even those don't really anymore. At least not. I mean, the ones we buy are in plastic bottles. Mm. I see I did have those but not until middle school the grade school I had is even worse because we had the little plastic fucking bags that oh you've never seen these they, oh, oh my god they're literally like little plastic sandwich bags but like without the the seal um hold on plastic I, ha- I have a look of astonishment on my face milk bag Okay, I'm glad that I... Um... Promo image for the next <laughs> for this episode. No. All right. Okay, come on, come on. Do, do your thing. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're these little, like, square pouches. Oh, my God. They give those to children? Yes. And you're just expected to shove... You get, like, a Capri Sun-style... Uh, um... Uh, straw that you have to stab in and hope that you don't go all the way through. I mean, like, it's... and Like, like that's bound to just squirt everywhere. Like, it's in, ridiculous. Inevitably, once a week, you'd hear, ah! Because someone, yeah, either accidentally oh stabbed God. all the way through and it went everywhere, or God. they, like, squeezed it a bit is too my, hard. Is my privilege showing right uh, now? Is my milk privilege showing? <laughs> Maybe. Because it was a public school okay. where we had those. And then it was 
I, when I transferred to a private school was when we got, I guess, the bougie um, cartons. Yeah, bougie milk cartons. My, I, I'm, I apologize for, for not <laughs> checking so, that privilege. No, it's just so funny because I thought that was so universal. So when I said it and you looked at me with that like blank look of like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, sandwich you bags. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, so... <laughs> But, you know, Jonathan... Jonathan can get into one of those bags, no problem. <laughs> Jonathan can do just about anything, including um, including uh, hacking the computer to get a better schematic of the crypt, uh, planning, the, planning the assault into the crypt, and uh, countering Giles' defense in chess. Yep, yeah. And, um, I mean, sploosh. <laughs> okay, Xander. <laughs> um, Should we just get the gay agenda out of the week, out of the way right now? I mean, the gay agenda is how every man, uh, specifically Xander, who's clearly obsessed with <laughs> Jonathan, um, but also, uh, also Riley a bit. Um, and, and even definitely Giles, Giles with his swimsuit calendar. <laughs> it was a gift. Was a gift, but um, okay. I just imagine like uh, like in Scrubs when uh, when uh, Doctor Cox is talking to JD about uh, coming to his son's birthday party. He's like, "The only reason that you're coming is because you're the only adult that I know that has a SpongeBob SquarePants costume." JD says, "It was a gift." Inner monologue says, "From me to me." <laughs> Is that the same uh, Dr. Cox's son's birthday party episode that's yes. totally devastating? Yes, it is. Oh, god damn. That, that line, where do you think we are, is... Oh. That, show, that show's a masterpiece, and it, it, it does not get acknowledged enough for how good it is. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it's one of those shows that that really terrible final season, and I am actually referring to its genuine technically final season of season nine really lost a lot of the goodwill that it had rebuilt up for itself in season eight which of course it was not meant to be it was supposed to be a spinoff yeah the fact that it was even called scrubs med school in the credits yeah but um jonathan jonathan Jonathan, um they jonathan kills all these vampires i think what buffy gets one i think uh, no she gets two she gets two and um he she's kind of down on herself and he's like no 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 everything's all that matters is that you did your best so here's here's the thing i know that it sounds bad but i honestly do think that the words are genuine Mm -hmm. um i don't think i don't think that anything that I don't think that anything that Jonathan does is evil no. in this episode. It's just extremely misguided. Yes, yes. And like and also you have to think of like the th- the good things that come of this. Uh we also find um we also find out one of Adam's weaknesses. I'll have I, I have some really strong feelings about that when we get there, but yes, continue. But uh but no, like um nothing bad comes out of this i think tara would disagree. yeah yeah <laughs> no, i mean you're right. the, the one that's probably like if if there was like a bad decision that he made it was like this yeah. uh but yeah like 
Jonathan's not doing this to be evil. Like, because what is, what is like, who's the main person or what is the main group that he associates with, even with all this fame? It's the Scoobies, yeah. and he wants to help them take down yeah. evil. And I mean, honestly, they should let him. If they let in Xander, they, they, <laughs> they should honestly let in anybody. I mean, that's the whole thing. He even talks about how he, he mentions the incident in Earshot where he was about to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that he was in therapy, which it's like the one time in, in the Buffyverse anyone ever goes to fucking therapy. Um, but um, so it's clear that he's been working on himself and he has, we know Jonathan has some very deep seated self, uh, self image problems. And he tried to just fix it all with a spell, which you know, that's his Aesop at the end that he learns is that he can't just fix it all with a spell. Um, let's put the idea of fixing everything with a spell just in the back of our heads for a while. I mean, in all fairness, though, um, I, you'd be tempted to do it as well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think the only reason, like, had that happened in high school, um, especially like, uh, I'd say junior year of high school, I would be all over that. Mm -hmm. But, um, senior year is actually a surprisingly really good time for me. And, uh, then college, the only reason that I wouldn't have done it is because college was such a departure from high school for me. Mm-hmm. And it, it's almost like you could remake yourself into who you wanted to be as opposed to like, oh, you're carrying the baggage of grade school and high school with you. Because you really aren't. Um, I I didn't hang out, like with one exception, I didn't hang out with really anybody from my uh, from my high school years, uh, the first year of college. Yeah, I've made like just a ton of new friends, so... That that that's my only reason, which I was like, oh, what if, uh, what if you had this and you uh, didn't have like any problems or whatever? I'm like, you know, I'm pretty good at my problems right now. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and it's important. It's funny that you said that because it is actually specifically mentioned that Jonathan is 18. So like, you know, he's young. Yeah. Um, we are still dealing with kids, even though they're you know, <laughs> not clearly not. <laughs> the actors are not kids. Tom Welling. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think yeah, I think he is sincere in his desires. Just yeah, very mm-hmm. misguided about how yeah. he goes about it. But um, then uh, the paparazzi's there waiting <laughs> when Jonathan exits the crypt, which is okay, sure. Um, <laughs> and then it's really funny because he's just like um, he's he's like it's kind of weird that it was a group. Usually, when you think of vampires, you think of like one solitary loner hanging out in the shadows. Which, of course, can only mean one thing. Angel. (laughs) Oh, I mean, Spike, Spike, Spike. I I do love that. He's like, speaking of which, hello, Spike. And Spike's like, oh, it's it's very much the uh, swiper on Dora. Oh, man. Have you watched the live-action Dora movie yet? No, but you you were telling me Oh, my God. I... Having never seen any Dora the Explorer whatsoever, holy crap if that wasn't a very enjoyable movie. And yes, admittedly, I was under the influence of something that I technically am not allowed to say in the state of Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) But, (laughs) damn, what a fun movie. So, I've 
as someone who used to babysit quite young girls, I've seen a lot of Dora the Explorer. Okay. Um, but I think I think that might make you even appreciate the movie even more. Probably. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. I also watched a stupid one. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like a gay octopus. No, the penguin was definitely... Was, the octopus wasn't gay. He was just annoying. And there was a sunflower and then a penguin. And the penguin was annoyingly gay. What? Now, was he actually gay or are you no, doing I was that just thing projecting. where you... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Oswald Octopus or some shit. And it was very dumb. I, I That's the thing. I Man, like, God. Like, those kid shows are so stupid. I mean, remember the smart shows we had, like Thomas the Tank Engine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, an octopus named Oswald, that's dumb, but a living tank engine named Thomas? That makes sense. Oh, gosh. Anyway. Jonathan. <laughs> Spike and Jonathan uh, trade, some, uh, trade some barbs. Um, Buffy tries to get in there. She calls him like a big, dumb, blonde, stupid head. <laughs> Which uh, is really funny. It very much reminded me of the uh, uh, last couple times I've hung out with Harrison. We've watched uh, clips from Community. And it reminds me of Frankie trying to do the shut up Leonard joke. You are old and therefore less deserving of our respect. I don't really believe that. <laughs> Everyone here is a butt. <laughs> is that what she says? No, it's a, they're they're a fart. Yeah, a everyone... fart from the butt of a lesser. God. That's what it. <laughs> oh God. Uh, Spike calls Buffy Betty, um, but she. And I love that she says. It. I love that she says it's Buffy. Like you know that he's called her this before. Yeah. <laughs> what if the show was Betty the Vampire Slayer? And Cordelia was Veronica. <laughs> <laughs> so, a certain someone would be Archie. Hmm. Interesting. Archie's here. <laughs> um, Betty's here. Veronica, too. <laughs> we get a super cute uh, scene with Willow and Tara. Um, they're, we don't see right away, but they're uh, cutting out pictures and... And post uh, pasting them uh, to the wall, or I guess taping them probably. And they're talking about the vampire fight. Um, Willow's describing it, and Tara's very impressed, which is this, cute. This is um, this is a huge thing. This is another reason why I appreciate the way that this episode is written mm -hmm. because um, Tara does ask, "Is Buffy okay?" Um, and Willow originally thinks that she's talking about like, oh, you know, she got a little bruised by the vampires. Mm -hmm. Um, but she's referring to, oh, you know, like Faith taking her body yeah. and, um, having sex with Riley and everything. And they talk about that. So that is, that is establishing that, hey, this is, well, this may be an alternate universe where Jonathan's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And shrimp may or may not exist in yeah. this universe. But, uh. But the but the truth is is like everybody's still going through the stuff that they went through in the last mm -hmm. couple episodes. Yeah, and also like you know, we still have yet to see the gang interact with Tara in which something <laughs> bad hasn't happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like we like right now we got an alternate universe. La uh, last time Buffy was body swapped with Faith. I I appreciated that. Um... And I'd forgotten that, yeah, we get, we talk a lot about the fallout from last week. 
And actually, some of the things that we were complaining about in Who Are You, uh, specifically the unfairness of Riley being blamed for what happened, is actually addressed in this episode. So I'm, I'm willing to eat a little crow here. And I am I am very glad that uh, I honestly Buffy... thought they just swept it under the rug, and I'm glad they didn't. Um, there is another instance later on in the series in which Buffy uses an altered world to tackle some problems from that had been plaguing some of the characters throughout the season. Like they tackled them while still having fun along the way with the altered nader, nader, nature of the world. <laughs> I, I was trying to say state and nature and it came out in nader. <laughs> okay, but, Ralph. Yeah, but uh but no um we'll get to that but it's it's funny that it's a it's almost like a really clever device um to just use in in tv writing in general yeah well it's smart to and we talked about this in hush and and last week like when they're doing an episode a high concept episode they're also using those high concepts to move uh, the story to forward. move the story along or to um like in the case of hush it was less about uh, other than buffy and Riley discovering each other's secrets. It was more of the um, to, to to delve into this wider theme of get your drink ready. Communication, <laughs> <laughs> but um, and it helps for, the, for those episodes to not just come off as gimmicks. Yeah, they, they are a concept, but they are still important. Honestly, I'm trying to think of like even an angel. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any like wasted gimmick, like wasted high concept episodes. I don't think there are. I think they they do fewer high concept episodes. I think than Buffy. Yeah, but I'm also thinking about Buffy as well, and just um, yeah, (laughs) it's like I can't I can't say any specifics because uh, (laughs) hey, but yeah, like it it seems that in every one of like the episodes that people like, oh my gosh, that was like. A huge like different episode high concept they still it still is used to move the plot forward yeah so yeah 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 um yeah they appreciated that here and then of course after they have this discussion about buffy and riley we pan around to see that what they are creating is a giant collage of jonathan <laughs> and i like how they're doing it and just like yeah this is normal this it's is the thing so to casual. do yeah, oh. this is actually one of like the more chill things to do about Jonathan. Right? Well, they are lesbians. <laughs> um, what? Oh, I was like, why is that familiar? It's that Parks and Rec episode where it's the lesbian folk duo Nefertiti's Fjord. <laughs> well, they are lesbians. <laughs> um, in Riley's dorm room, the first thing we notice is that the, the balls, balls poster, poster is gone. <laughs> It's been replaced by Jonathan uh, pulling off a slam dunk in basketball. And it's autographed. Yes. I love that detail. It's so <laughs> nice. And um, Riley and Buffy are discussing, um, apparently the initiative claims that they're not still putting, you know, drugs in their food. 
but Riley's not taking the risk, and so I guess he's brown bagging it to the initiative yeah. every day. <laughs> but uh, but you know, I wonder. It would be nice to like Buffy put a note in there or something. Oh, uh, proud of you, my sweet Riley. <laughs> but uh, what is funny? I, Go one kill of my, something. One of my favorite jokes. It, one of my favorite lines in this, and it's very much a throwaway, but I love it. Is um, when she's like, "Oh, are you feeling better?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm feeling a lot better." I mean, granted, I'm no Jonathan. <laughs> And of course, they've made sure that Riley's not wearing a shirt. So super jacked Mark <laughs> Lucas is like, I'm no Jonathan, where he's like and we, and super we, jacked and a full foot and a half taller. I yeah, think. and we and speaking of being taller, we get like a joke later, like we get an observation at the end of the episode where Riley's like, anybody else feel like a way too tall? <laughs> you know, we've talked about how the height difference between Sarah Michelle Gellar and Mark Lucas feels way better bigger than the difference between her and David Boreanaz, even though it's about the same. Yeah. I was kind of feeling that in this episode when he said that. I was, Human has to feel way too tall. Yes, you do feel way too tall. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, Buffy tries to make a basket in his little Nerf basketball and misses. And she's um, kind of complains about... Uh, in kind of a jokey way that she's just like, well, maybe my basketball skills are different than my beheading skills. But of course we know that that's not the case. That Buffy's extremely coordinated. and um, So it's here that we like get into um, the observation that I was, that I made in this episode. And I didn't make the first time I watched this episode because I was just a dumb kid. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I, I believe it. There's obviously the uh, implied meaning of how women's accomplishments are constantly overshadowed, if not completely usurped, by men. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you made that. If you came no, to that I, conclusion, either I hadn't really actually, but I, it's a and maybe it wasn't a conscious thing. Maybe it wasn't a conscious thing. Maybe it wasn't intentional what they were doing. But I think that's something that can be read, you know, especially now. Because, I mean, it seems that in the past, like, I'd say decade, um, not only are people, like, giving more credence to, uh, to, you know, letting, letting, like, LGBT people live the way that they want to. And uh, obviously in the last year, there's been a lot more uh, awareness made of uh, race and uh, of, of people of different races. But um, I think, like, in the last, like, decade, women are finally getting, mm-hmm. like, what they, like, they're finally getting acknowledgement. And uh, and also, like, the, the situations when they're not getting acknowledgement has been tackled, like, yeah. aggressively. And men get so mad when you, you know, there's the... Um... Men have had it really bad these past <laughs> couple of months. <laughs> There's, um, have you seen the, uh, the, the premise that they've announced for the new Predator movie? No, I haven't. So, I think it sounds really fucking cool. It's gonna be set during the Civil War, um, and it's, uh, the main character is going to be, um, a Native American warrior woman. Um, Hot. And uh, she's going to be played by uh, Amber Midthunder, who was on um, Legion. Um, okay. She was one of the Carries. Um, okay. And, and she was great on that show. I really liked her. And 
I was like, yeah, this seems really cool. Said it in the past, uh, you know, female lead, a, a woman of color in particular. And of course, all the fucking misogynists and racists were like, we don't want wokeness in our Predator movie. And it's like, that's not wokeness. That's just... Well, I mean, like, did you... Um... <laughs> Uh, did you see uh, the Sandman casting? Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Neil Gaiman was like, oh, do you not like it? I don't, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, and uh, again, we're going on a tangent here, but uh, actually, you know what? This is still relevant to my point. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's like when they announced Jodie Whittaker as the mm-hmm. 13th Doctor. I remember seeing so many, um, so many comments on Facebook. That's... That's on me. You're not supposed to read the comments. But so many comments just started off with, look, I'm not a misogynist. Or, look, but... I don't hate women. But... And then they immediately followed with a misogynist mm-hmm. comment. And it was, like, it ranged from, like, oh, Doctor Who's, like, supposed to be a guy. Like, just flat out just saying that. Which, I mean, is wrong. But, uh... But also, the, um... One that I saw was like, oh, the doctor's always been like a, a grandfather figure to me. So uh, it, it, it's just, it's not right to have a woman playing like, so Matt Smith felt like a grandfather figure to I mean, you. I guess if you're a fetus. Um, <laughs> fucking weirdo. Well, and even before Jodie Whittaker, uh, Pearl Mackey got the same shit when they, well, then they cast her first just because she's black. Mm-hmm. And then when they announced that her character would be gay... They were like, oh, a black gay woman? They want to shove their liberal PC-ness down our throats. And it's like, you know, black gay people exist. And yeah, it's not you know, liberal PC-ness to just let them be on television. Probably the most disappointing instance, though, was um, was Sonequa Martin-Green oh, yeah. uh, being cast as the lead in Discovery. And Star- the Star Trek fans... And look... I can understand, like, I can understand that assholes exist, um, and I, I had seen people react to, um, Ray and Finn, uh, John Boyega Boyega and, uh, Daisy Ridley being cast as, like, the two main characters of the, uh, of the new Star Wars trilogy. I, I, you could probably, like, hear my quotes, because (laughs) it's a large cast, but let's be honest, in retrospect... Ray was meant to be the main character along with, uh, and like very close, like at very, very close in billing is our, uh, Poe and Finn. Yeah. But, um, the, uh, yeah, I'd seen that, but I, but then I thought there's no way not, not in Star Trek <laughs> because Star Trek, the entire point of Star Trek, like you can, you can flip a coin and, it's still higher odds that an episode will be about treating all people equally than uh, like it's better there's a higher than 50 50 shot and, and oh yeah. my god you still had people saying like oh come on really like when did star trek become so pc and like it's always been pc 1963 <laughs> it is like it's literally it's thing yep no it is about how every episode is an allegory for accepting people as they are also before anyone yells at me 63 is when doctor who started 66 66 yeah star trek i got i corrected myself yeah i honestly i honestly hadn't noticed it because um 
I was too busy in my fit of no, rage. And uh, yeah, I apologize if that got too real for you all. But no, it's it's no, that's the thing because it's like you would hope. And yeah, you do have, hope, and then yeah, just, we, people we have, disappoint you. Yeah, like, media has been making s- these very, very great strides. And, I mean, like, I'm hoping soon that, like, uh, obviously, um, I feel like Star Trek took a huge step forward by uh, um, having, like, a, uh, a non-binary mm-hmm. uh, a non-binary actor uh, in a role where they are actually, they come to the conclusion that, like, oh, hey, I'm not a... I'm not a girl. I'm non-binary. Yeah. And I'm, everybody's like, cool. All right, cool. I'm going to actually have in a couple, there's an episode coming up in a couple weeks that we'll be doing where I've been just preparing some things to talk about in that episode. Um, and actually that scene from Discovery is part of that kind of just like overall point I want to make. Okay. Because it's a beautiful scene. Um, and I, what I really, really appreciated about it, because I was, I was a little nervous when they introduced, because the, they made the big deal about we're introducing this non-binary actor, non-binary character, but then they were like, uh, it's the, the character's Trill. And I was like, oh, okay, uh, that's, but then I appreciated that the, the fact that the character's the really not Trill and that the their identity as non-binary was completely separate yes. from the, the the trill aspect of the mm-hmm. storyline. And then I was like, cool. Because I, it, at first I was like, ooh, that feels, using the, the trill to do this feels like a, an easy way out. Although I've actually read, I actually read an article once about how, um, and uh, not specifically non-binary, but... I did like uh, see somebody like uh, write this article about how um, the trill, the trill character in Deep Space Nine, Jezia Dax, and later Ezri Dax, um, kind of like was helpful for them in process of like transitioning. Oh yeah, I I've either read that same article or read a very similar mm-hmm. article, and it's I I agree it is wonderful, and I love when it's I love these allegorical stories about that. But it's also really important to have the stories that aren't allegorical. Right, right, right. That right. Are just, yeah, gotcha. Like, but yeah, um, and anyway. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> that's like, a bit of a tangent. I, I know but... that, like, this is a huge tangent, but I also think that it's important. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, like... But Jonathan's totally co-opting all the work Buffy does. Yeah. And that's and, rude. Yeah, and that's, like... I know I just made the point earlier that he's not, like, doing bad... Like, he's not trying to do anything bad-heartedly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is what, yeah, this is what's happening. And, you know, maybe, maybe like there are men who are like, oh, well, I mean, you know, if I didn't get involved in this project, then it wouldn't have gotten done. Um, but maybe it would have. Yeah. Maybe faster and more efficiently. Yeah. I don't know. At this point, I'm probably talking out my own ass, but, um, no, 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 but no, I I don't think so. It's, it's interesting. It's just that like, how, how genuine does this point come across from it? A, uh, from a guy but um, uh you know i also um, just think it's interesting how how that one point you made just did branch us off into like all the other different avenues that these lead down which mm-hmm. really does show how all of these problems in the world they all come from really similar roots yep um the goddamn patriarchy goddamn patriarchy <laughs> um but uh yeah like uh we go to the Buff- espresso pump. Well, like, 
needless to say, like uh, Buffy's still feeling uh, not too comfortable oh, yeah. around Riley. Very on edge. We, yeah, like we, we we got to the part where she like missed the basket, and um, but uh, we he didn't. Tries to embrace her, and she's yeah. like, "Ew," <laughs> and I was like, "Ew." Um, Ew, David. <laughs> Ew, Riley. Um, so yeah, Buffy and Jonathan meet at the the coffee shop, the espresso pump, and. Buffy is literally preparing Jonathan's coffee for her, for him. Because it, it looks like she's preparing one for herself, and then she just passes it over to him. But, um, yeah, she's expressing her, her issues, that she's, um, what's going on. And Jonathan, I think, is very insightful in this scene, is like... Maybe you're not mad at Faith, you're mad at Riley. Yeah, because yeah, she's, she's doing all this, like anger at faith and yeah jonathan gets right to it and he's like yeah you're actually mad at riley and buffy's like well i shouldn't be and i'm like yeah you shouldn't be but i do appreciate that she recognizes that like this anger she has at riley is irrational and um he uh he jonathan's basically like he gives her some advice that like she's gonna have to work through it and be able to forgive him which, of course, that's going to come back later at the very end of this episode. Um, and then we meet... Kara. Well, I, I think a, one thing that I did want to, like, remark, oh, yeah. like, specifically that he said was, um, it's hard, but, um, like, it's worth the work. Yes. Um, and uh, that's that kind of spoke to me on, like, a little bit, like... I, I think that just speaks to people in general. Mm-hmm. Like, typically the hardest things in life end up being the things that are most worth it when you said the hardest thing in life i for a split second i was like no we haven't gotten there yet (laughs) Um, but um i i want to say (laughs) i want to say um because jason and i had this exact reaction at the end all the advice that um jonathan is giving to buffy is good advice we are gonna later just be like don't care not because the advice is bad but because we just don't care about riley or Buffy's <laughs> relationship. Um, uh but yeah we meet karen i love karen with a k with a k <laughs> um although i do know someone who's whose name is karen who spells it with a c like how's um, it spelled just, just literally just a c a r e n huh i i've never seen that yeah. like karen i immediately think k yeah um, it's the only person I've ever met who who spells it like that. But it's you know it is it, it's out there. <laughs> but he he um, but yes, Karen's actually holding uh, his very heavy book. <laughs> I was like, I, I remember thinking like, oh, Jonathan, I can write a long book. <laughs> Fuck you, Jonathan. <laughs> well, coming out strong. Yeah, um, the, I the, I uh, I'm attempting to write things, and uh, it's um. <laughs> It's not going well. I love Karen, personally. She's like, she's a nothing character. Like, she doesn't actually matter. She is a plot device through and through. But there's something about her unbridled enthusiasm that... And maybe it's because it's it's weird. Com- like, that same unbridled enthusiasm is really weird coming from our regular cast. But from this, like, no one, I'm just like, you are so cute. Oh my it, god. It is, it, is, it is very much kind of like a... This is the effect that he has had on the whole world, not just on the Scoobies. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, he signs the book for her, and she's she's just fucking ecstatic. Like, I mean, 
I mean, I got really excited when Neil Gaiman signed my copy of American Gods. Like, I was over the moon for that. I was very excited when I had uh, Bernadette Peters uh, sign my copy of uh, Sunday in the Park with George. Ooh. Yeah, so we're both pretty special. Hell yeah. <laughs> I also... I, I wasn't trying to, like, flex or anything with that. It's... Well, Bernadette Peters signed my copy of Sunday in the Park Didn't you George, tell Bernadette Peters so... that you liked her hair? Well, yeah, well, or did you touch her hair? I touched her hair. Yeah, that's right. I touched Bernadette Peters' hair. <laughs> I was like, what's the, most, and... what's the creepiest way this story went? Because that's probably how it happened. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, I was young, and I know now I should have done that, so... No one can tell, but I'm twirling my hair like Kristen Wiig, so... Yeah, he's doing, the, he's doing Penelope from Chris, from uh, SNL. My best friend is Liza Minnelli in a tomato, so... <laughs> Sometimes I can go invisible. <laughs> um, I love... The thing that I love about those sketches is that it's always the most ridiculous thing that she says... At the end of it, that's the, the one truth. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> After everybody leaves, like Penelope, the, the last <laughs> tomato and I are going out for a night on the town. I, I I still love like when she says like yeah I can turn invisible. Everybody's like God, you know what I can't say it. Or they all walk off and she just like keeps muttering to herself, then slowly disappears. And my hair's actually long enough to like do the <laughs> twirl. But yeah, the, and that was so great that Liza Minnelli showed up just for that oh, one so thing with the tomato. Speaking of Liza Minnelli, this is such a chaotic episode that I'm here for. <laughs> There's this uh, Twitter account I follow that's called Liza Minnelli Outlives. And it's literally just like, like when Rush Limbaugh died, Liza Minnelli Outlives Rush Limbaugh. When Bill Gates divorced his wife, it was... Bill, uh, Liza Minnelli outlives Bill Gates and Bill and Melinda Gates' marriage. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really dark. I mean, I mean, I'd say that's a ridiculous account to follow, but I also follow a Twitter account that basically is called Is Today Ted Danson's Birthday? And every day it posts today is not Ted Danson's birthday, except for the actual day, yep. it is Ted Danson's birthday. But what a great day. the first time that that came along in the account, it got like, you got like 20,000 retweets or something <laughs> like that. Like, what the hell? I love it. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes you've got to follow a dumb Twitter account that just, that maybe it's stupid, but it also tickles that very specific funny bone that you have. Yeah. And you know what? Every time I come across it on Twitter, it's like, oh, today's not Ted, Ted Danson's birthday. It gives me a little smile. <laughs> oh, see, I'd be like, oh, that's sad. <laughs> Every day should be Ted Danson's birthday. <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. At the initiative... We meet Colonel George Haviland, um, whose name I only remember because it's here in the wiki. Yeah. Thank you, wiki. And um, not, not multiple lands, just a land. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's the new commander of the initiative, but he's like, but I'm bringing in the experts. Mr. Jonathan. Jonathan in like commando garb. Once again, they're called fatigues. Fatigues. So thank mm -hmm. you. Once again, like, a full, like, foot shorter than everyone around <laughs> yeah. him. I love, like, um, the guy standing next to Riley whispers, Good, we finally brought in the big guns. It was, um, it was Graham, I think. Was that Graham? I think it was Graham. I... Graham's the really so generic I, one, so yeah, maybe not. I just assumed that, like, since Forrest wasn't there, that Graham wasn't either. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> um, it is funny, this is, on this rewatch, I'm actually, for the first time, kind of a... I've never really cared for Forrest, 
But for the first time watching it this time, I'm actually appreciating that Forrest at least has some personality. Yes. He's not it's pleasant, like, oh, that's, like, that's Forrest. Yeah. He's an asshole, but he's giving me something. Yeah. Um, and this is where we learn that Jonathan has gone through Maggie Walsh's like initial plans and reading between the lines, he has learned that uh, Adam has a uranium power core in his chest. And um, that's, you know, destroying that is basically the only way to kill Adam. Let's talk about the fact that this Adam storyline is so completely poorly conceived that we get the massively important exposition of how to kill him in this silly, goofy, <laughs> one-off episode. I mean, that's where we are with the Adam storyline. I mean, when you think about it, since, like, the first kind of introduction of Adam, there haven't been a lot of episodes... I don't think there have been any episodes that have straight-up focused on Adam. He's just kind of been so, there. He No, you're right. So he obviously makes his debut at the very end of the I and Team. Mm -hmm. Then he's... Got some focus in, uh, in Goodbye Iowa, and then from Goodbye Iowa we go directly into the Faith two parter. Yeah. And then this episode, and the next, uh, the next two episodes of Buffy are also not focused on not Adam. focused on Adam, because, and I don't I don't think it's an accident. I think they realized that, I think they realized too late. That this was a really poorly conceived storyline, and so I just don't think the storyline was was thought all the way through. Right, like, <laughs> um, oh god, now I want to watch Meet the Robinsons. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, but yeah, we learn Adam's weakness. It's so great, um, and honestly, in any other season, like for instance, if we learned a major piece of intel about. Uh, next season's Big Bad in an episode like this, I'd be furious. <laughs> but this season, I'm just like, fine, sure. I don't like, honestly. If they came in like in the beginning of the next episode and they were like, good, great, everyone, we killed Adam. Like, <laughs> uh, that being said, Adam does have an appearance in this episode. He does, and um, uh, I have an opinion on it that uh, we'll get to when mm -hmm. we get to that scene. But first, um, also, uh. After all the commanders have left, uh, Riley ends up having a heart-to-heart -heart with Jonathan as well. And it, I maybe that's indicative of what Jonathan really needs in his life. But everybody is able to kind of like talk to him, confide in him, mm -hmm. and then walk away feeling better. Yeah. I mean, that's what Jonathan needs to do. It's like he... He needs to Go help back to others. There, oh. well, <laughs> obviously. But maybe that's what like Jonathan mm. is truly desiring. He needs... He wants... He gets he his self esteem builds because he's able to help other people. I love that read because of course, and we get a shout out to this later in the episode. Who gave Buffy the class protector award? Like, which I mean, even he didn't even know that that's what she needed in that episode. She was so bummed about everything in her life, yeah. but. Yeah, I think you're right. Because the advice he gives everyone is genuinely good advice. 
shitty at taking it himself. Yeah. Um, Gee, I, I wonder what that must be like. <laughs> he, but you're right. He does have a, a certain amount of of empathy and understanding of of the, of these people or, or of the people around him. Um, but yeah, seems to be lacking that empathy and understanding of himself, which mm-hmm. is, I don't think, uncommon for a lot of people. Um, Can't relate at all. <laughs> um, then we go to Jonathan's mansion, and we see Karen again. Uh, okay, this is where Karen's a little less... Uh, I yeah, find she's totally less... stalking him. Totally yeah. stalking him. But at the same time, that might be part of the spell. She might... I don't know. Maybe she's in real life. She wouldn't do this, but she's been so taken over. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we get, she's attacked by this. Um, it, it, it's a demon. that reminds me a bit of the, um, the hellhounds in the aforementioned prom episode, mm-hmm. but bigger. And with these like giant, like, really long like club like arms maybe like hellhounds mixed with like uh not the gentlemen but like the little like madmen servants that they had kind of yeah 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 um it's it's gross i hate it <laughs> but it's uh yeah it fucks her up pretty bad but she uh she manages to get away and um we um, oh, it says that the Riley scene happens after this. That's weird. I thought it was like one whole... I thought so too, but... I thought it was one whole scene. My well, bad. I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it tells us because we did leave off the part where after they have the conversation, Riley blindfolds himself. Jonathan blindfolds Gi- himself. Jonathan blindfolds himself, uh, points the gun he's been loading, and we cut to... He says, he says people, people don't always see what's in front of them, and... <laughs> <laughs> they're just apples on the heads of three commandos <laughs> like what <laughs> he's gonna like shoot off not i was gonna say isaac newton style but that's william a different... tell william tell i was like that's a different apple um yeah uh but then we go to the bronze and um this is fun actually for but before we even get into the jonathan stuff this is the first time we see all the scoobies i uh, think the, the the Scoobies who go to the bronze. Um, Giles is not there, but... Um, Giles goes to the bronze. When he's depressed. <laughs> or needs to find Buffy. <laughs> um, but they're all hanging out with Tara included. Yes. Which is nice. This is the first time that's happened. And um, Tara and Willow are dancing. Um, <laughs> also, one thing I do like to point out here, the, the, the big band style music that is not something that you would see oh, at the no. bronze but i actually liked it i and oh, that's yeah. another thing um this um between like big band style music and uh, also little stings of james bond-esque music um the score for this episode is so different from every other buffy episode and um oh, god let me find that let me give credit where credit's due um um christoph beck christoph beck yep um i yeah great job on this score i didn't realize he was still scoring the show at this point that's what it has in the buffy wiki very good um because he's been i mean he's been the composer for the show since season two Mm -hmm. um but i thought i thought he had left at this point but apparently i'm wrong but yeah no the scoring is 
fucking awesome in this episode. Um, Sander and Anya are arguing uh, because uh, Xander claims that Anya was moaning Jonathan's name when they were having sex. Oh, nothing. Uh, and uh, Bubby says to Riley, if they get into a fist fight, I've got $50 on Anya. Me too, Buffy. <laughs> I mean, she's Me right. too. Um, and I've and I have like four, almost four whole seasons of seeing Xander try to fight. <laughs> um, and uh, then Jonathan takes the stage, and uh, he sings a song dedicated. He doesn't say who it's dedicated to, just a couple going through a hard time right now. Uh, he starts singing. Anya says, "Xander, we have to go have sex," and Xander is like. Yes, we do. <laughs> and they both <laughs> stare at Jonathan as they make their way out of the bronze. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. And uh, this is a moment that I actually do think is super sweet. Um, Riley invites Buffy to dance. And, and they dance together. And it's just, it's very nice. Uh, and Buffy's basically just like, I want to get over. I want to move past this. I don't want it to be a thing. And then poor Karen comes in. So one thing I do want to say about Jonathan's music performance, Mm -hmm. um, that is not him singing. It's not. It is not Danny Strong singing, and it is also not Danny Strong playing the trumpet. However, I read this in the wiki, um, to Danny Strong's credit, he is syncing the trumpet up with the actual notes. So the um so we got like the fingering. Yeah, right? yeah, he did. Yeah, he did all the finger motions correctly. I'm almost glad though that it's not him playing and not him singing because like we already know that Danny Strong is a is a really good actor and of course as his career has gone on, he's he's won awards for his writing as well. So if he was also just like an amazing trumpet player and like singer, I'd be like quadruple threat. I'd be like fuck you, stop. He what, truly. What, what he, spell did you cast? He truly is Jonathan. Right? <laughs> actually, um, it kind of makes you wonder, like, like um, mm. if if somebody actually did cast that spell in real life, would we all adore them, or would all of our like innate jealousies kick in and we'd be like, you know what, mm. fuck that person. They're like. They're so perfect. I think the point of the spell, though, was Is, to yeah, it's be a low loving. Yeah. So I think I think even people who would naturally tend towards jealousy just magically would not. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but yeah, poor Karen comes in. She's all bloodied, and Jonathan's uh, Jonathan's like, "We're gonna we're gonna help you." Um, there's a very strange moment when they get back to the mansion. Where there's also it's Riley, Buffy, Jonathan, and Karen, but also this police officer. And Buffy even says, like, what's this guy doing here? <laughs> and then the officer's just like, When I heard there was a disturbance at your house, I thought I'd come personally. And the Jonathan's like, Oh no, it's fine. I'll take care of it. And I guess it's to sh- I mean, I, I obviously it's showing that like even authority figures like the police are kind of under like this way but it, did, it didn't feel super necessary to me i felt like mm-hmm. the, what was happening had been well established i yeah. didn't need that exactly um i mean it didn't take me out of the episode but i just 
Yeah, I, I honestly like didn't remember that until you just said it, so <laughs> it clearly well, didn't bother me. <laughs> I think I had the exact same reaction as Buffy when like when Buffy was like, "Who's this guy?" I was like, "Yeah, who is this guy?" <laughs> maybe if maybe if the show had like a Kate Lockley, who was like a recurring police officer character, that might like make more sense. Um, but it it didn't it wasn't terrible, but it didn't really work. Um, but Karen describes the monster for them and she mentions that it had a symbol on its head which she draws. Um, and Jonathan gets real squirrely once he sees it. Um, and Buffy notices. Um, and this is where we really start to see actual Buffy start to finally kind of emerge. Um, and um, but he's just like, no, it's fine. Like, don't worry about it. Um, it's, it's just a, basically, it's a mindless animal. It doesn't, uh... Take care of it. Yeah, he's like, it doesn't come towards populated areas. And Buffy's like, well, it did. <laughs> and then Jonathan's like, oh, well, you know, Karen probably startled it. And she, he's like, it's probably more afraid of you than you are of it. Mm. And I'm just like, no, dude. Um, but yeah, Buffy definitely takes note of all of this. And then we get to this Adam scene. Here's the Adam scene. And so guys, I am... Um, and it's so funny because the vampire who's hanging out with Adam is like... Uh, it's like, oh, and uh, yeah, this this monster showed up. Uh, and uh, apparently like uh, hit this girl who knew Jonathan. And he's like, who's Jonathan? He's like, you don't know? <laughs> and um, Adam has all these TV screens pulled up of like different points of jonathan jonathan's like very illustrious career and uh he's like these are lies this isn't true and i i really do think this is the most compelling thing about adam mm-hmm. to date that we've seen that uh because he apparently he gives some explanation that he's like i understand all the molecules of my body and i'm trevor lockley <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> Oh, damn it, you got me, guys. I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't either. It was, it's when the voice happened, I was like, oh, here it goes. I'm just reluctant. Um, he's like, I understand all the molecules in my body and outside my body. And I was like, uh, okay, Which sure. I think was a very Adam way of saying that maybe magic doesn't affect him. Yeah. Or certain, at least certain, certain kinds things. of magic don't. And yeah, like, I don't... I don't know why I liked the idea that he wasn't affected by it the way that everyone else is. I wish that there could be like some sort of follow-up to that, mm. but... Well, uh. it's the first time that it really felt like they were showing and not telling. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been hearing how powerful Adam is, but it's just everyone talking about it. This is the first time where we're going, oh, so he's like immune to this. So that's, yeah, that's actually vaguely threatening and interesting. Um, but at the same time, it also, because there's zero follow-up, it appears to exist solely for the purpose of this being the point where the episode's, like, finally showing its hand of, like, mm-hmm. like acknowledging something's up. But, uh, yeah, the, the vampire does suggest, like, oh, maybe you could kill Jonathan, and uh, Adam's not too worried because... Like, mad, the magic that's being used for this is unstable, and it'll eventually kind of take care of itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Adam's like, eh, 
not my problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I made the joke while we were watching. It was very much like Thanos and Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, it's not my time yet. <laughs> I'm stuck in this chair. Um, not enough of you have disappointed me yet. <laughs> Fine, I'll go do it myself. Takes like eight more movies to get to the point where he actually gets an Infinity Stone. Um, we, uh... We go back to Jonathan's mansion where we meet hot Swedish twins whose names are apparently Inga and Ilsa. Yeah. Um, I I find that gross. I mean, not just the obvious, like, sex stuff, but, like, the twins aspect of it. I find that they're that creepy. Is, you know, um... I know that's, like, since a we're talking, Since we're talking about parodies of, uh, of, um, James Bond, let's bring up Austin Powers for a second and, uh... I think it was Spy Who Shagged... It was either Spy Who Shagged Me or Goldmember that started off with, like, um... Uh... It had been Goldmember, and, like, uh... He's got, like, these two twins named, like, Fook Me and Fook You, and, uh... Oh, I think they Asian? They were, oh. yeah. And I think that was, like... <laughs> I think that was, um, making fun of how people... How men... Specifically white men are obsessed with many fetishes, including Asian women... And twins and like it. Austin even has like a his list of things to do before he dies, and one of them is like twins. And he's like twins, Basil, twins. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's what that made me think of. And, yeah, like I I don't know why that's a that's a fetish, but then again, it's, like I mean, I mean, I, a lot. There is a lot of like, there's a lot of like uh, fan fiction out there that is like. It just surprised me how much um, stuff carries, like, that incest slash taboo tag. And right? I'm like, really? That's what you guys are into? Right. I, yeah, I I find it very creepy, personally. And, and I know I know you guys are thinking, like, well, Jason, how do you know that that, hash, <laughs> that, like, that tag is there? And, like, well, you know, guys, sometimes I get into fan fiction. Not sexual fan fiction. I but only like, get into sexual fan fiction. Uh, well, well, that makes sense for you. But like sometimes, like, I think fan fiction can be like a really fun thing. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of times though, it is used for horniness. But uh, can be both. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, that's true. Yeah. But it, oh my god, so many incest and taboo things out yeah, there. Yeah, it's I, I, I just I so, find I mean, it creepy. I know this is coming across as kink shaming, and I just I, I you yeah you are right, but at the same time they're. I don't even like incest doesn't feel like a kink to me. It feels I don't anyway. Let's yeah. It was like this feels this feels like thin ice. Let's move on. Um, there's some God. The Lannister twins are out there so furious at us right now. Let's just think of all the Targaryens just, like <laughs> yeah. turning in their graves. Um, have, you've seen the 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 um the meme though of like watching season one of. Game of Thrones. Ooh, incest. Watching season seven of Game of Thrones. Ooh, incest. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, please have Jon Snow. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I don't know who has who's seen Game of Thrones and who hasn't, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, but before he goes to bed with the twins, Jonathan removes his robe and we see he has, um, they describe it as a tattoo later, but it's very clearly like a brand it's like a scar yeah. yeah like like yeah like it's either been cut into him or burned into mm-hmm. him but it's the same symbol 
that um that was on the monster. Um Buffy Willow and Tara are walking back to their dorms. Um, and what is Tara wearing? This <laughs> I literally paused the episode. Yep. To because I was like, what the fuck? It's a full length denim skirt. Honestly, at first the way like how Harrison had paused it and how like the shadows were mm-hmm. and the lighting was. I thought it was just a pair of jeans. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with a pair of jeans. But then, like, when he played it again, and then I noticed, oh, it is a denim skirt. Well, because I think she was taking a step forward. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, so it looked like there was a break where there wasn't. But even if those were jeans, those are way baggy for, I think, where we are in the timeline in 2000. I mean, baggy jeans were, like, uh, still a thing, but those felt like like early '90s baggy, where you could like fit both. Of your I could legs. I could easily see Tara just kind well, of like. Ha- I mean, Tara Tara comes across as very free spirit, like oh, I'll wear whatever I want. I really I I think it's so sweet that you describe her as free spirited because I'm going to describe her as a bad dresser, <laughs> um, and I say that with a lot of love. Yeah, I love Tara. I love Amber Benson. Oh my god. <laughs> Um, I, I appreciate that Tara is being incorporated into the, into the larger group, uh, finally. Um. But again, it still doesn't feel too genuine because we're still in this, mm-hmm. we're still in this alternate, uh, world. True. Well, we even have this moment when they're, um, she's, um, cause Buffy's explaining that what she's witnessed with Jonathan and when they get to Tara's dorm, they separate and there's a little moment there where there's it's it's very brief, but it's like this little bit of awkwardness between Willow and Tara about how much affection are they going to show one another mm-hmm. in this goodbye, um, and it boils down to basically just like a brief like hand squeeze, um, which you know if Buffy weren't there, just like full on cunnilingus. <laughs> right in the quad, right there. <laughs> um, but uh, that just that also just another see this is I don't know what Jane Espenson's sexuality is. Um, I've looked on her Wikipedia page and it's specified. Jane Espenson has always struck me as very queer, and when she writes Willow and Tara in particular, it feels very um, uh, genuine. I guess is the word I want to say. Um, I don't want to. That's all I'll say, because I don't want to be speculating on a person I've never met. Mm -hmm. Um, But you've met her, so you speculate. (laughs) I mean, in all fairness, the reason that, like, I met her and she was sitting at a table with um, the two guys from Husbands, so... And Husbands also feels, if you've never, listen, listeners, if you've never watched Husbands, you really should, because it's fucking funny, but it's also super sweet, Um, and they're hot. So, but it also feels like a really genuinely think um, think uh, think David and Patrick from Schitt's Creek before that was a thing. Oh, the sweetness! Yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't think so. I think their body types are real different. But that's <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's where my shallow yeah. games came out. <laughs> what? No, they're way hotter than <laughs> no, 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 not way hotter. Everyone involved in this situation is hot, but um. Like, cause anyway, <laughs> but, but oh, just, and, these um, moments feel very genuine. And uh, it, it's, it's at this point when, um, we, we get like a, a detail about this world in that, um, 
Buffy gave Jonathan the class protector award, and later on, Xander makes comments about how um, how Jonathan has uh, grounded the bones of the master, mm-hmm. um, destroyed the mayor in like when he was in full snake form, and coached the U.S. women's football soccer team to an impressive World Cup victory. What's hilarious about that is, of course, they they um. They skip over and jealous, but I'm picturing basically the scene in Becoming, but with Jonathan in Buffy's place. Yeah. <laughs> the kiss. The, oh my God. Now that's a height difference. <laughs> <laughs> they have to get, like, he's like, can someone get me a scully box? Yeah, he needs a, he needs a box like Tom Cruise does. <laughs> um... You know why it's called a scully box? That, like, basically that sort of thing, why it's called a scully box? Because Gillian Anderson always needed one when mm-hmm. acting next to David Duchovny. Yep, because very significant height difference. Um, I mean, like, if we want to talk about that, like, I'm sure that... Let's see, actors that I'm pretty sure have used a scully box. Tom Cruise. Robert Downey Jr. in mm-hmm. almost all of his Iron Man scenes with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth. I, I was going to say Chris Hemsworth, but yes, also. Um, and also, uh, well, Josh... Also- that's why Gwyneth Paltrow's, like, frequently barefoot is to help with that situation. Yeah. I was going to say, like, uh, also Josh Hutcherson in um in The Hunger Games because yeah. he is so short. And, and Jennifer Lawrence isn't particularly tall. But it's just that it's everybody's like, tall compared to Josh Hutcherson. Yeah. Tara gets attacked. Yeah. The monster attacks Tara. I, I mean, like it. that's what happens when you join the Scooby gang. That's what happens when Willow starts to get too powerful to be the one attacked by the monsters. Every <laughs> week. Um, and Xander's not around. <laughs> um, but they, um, she does cast like a, a spell to make some smoke, which was cool. I liked that. Um, but yeah, basically she locks herself in a supply closet, which we learn that we then get a cut to the next morning where... Buffy shows up at Willow's door or Tara's dorm where Willow already is like taking care of her. Basically, Tara was found there by a student that morning. Um, Why was a student in the supply closet? Whatever. But she'd been there all night like hiding um, from this or actually based on how she is in like her room, probably like she passed out um, when she she got in there. So that's pretty scary actually yeah um and willow is so concerned for her and oh um but tara describes the monster same symbol same exact symbol so buffy's buffy's slayer senses are tingling um and then is this my favorite scene in the episode? I don't know. It's my it favorite, is the most Anya scene. It is the most. And this this scene proves that no matter what universe you're in, Anya is hilarious Holy as Anya. Shit. So Buffy goes to Xander's um, because apparently Xander has the biggest collection of uh, Jonathan paraphernalia. I mean, yeah. Um, <laughs> he's not there, but Zanya, Zanya, Anya's there, and Anya's like basically just like. What do you want? <laughs> and Bobby's like, can, I need to look at some stuff. Can I come in? And Zan- Anya's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, just starts reading Jonathan's book, looks up, and she's like, oh, you're still here? Because <laughs> um, Buffy 
going through his stuff. He's got posters. He's got comic books. He's got, like, collectible cards, like baseball cards. Um, obviously, the book. Um, so I think um, that top comic um, that is Jonathan, I really... I, I looked online as soon as I saw it because I recognize that artist. I believe it's um, an artist... Uh, I, and I can't like call recall the name, but I think it's like an artist who did some image stuff in the late nineties, mm-hmm. um, like Savage Dragon and stuff like that. And I'm I was kind of hoping that maybe uh, like he did a specifically created that comic cover for the oh, episode. It's it, it's a little bit like um, you're not too familiar with comics, but uh, not really. Um, season two of Fringe, when Peter is in uh, the other world, mm-hmm. there are actually comic book covers that are framed on the wall that are slight variations of real life comic book covers. And DC artists oh, were cool. hired specifically to make those covers for it. God damn, as if I needed more reasons to love Fringe. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> but yeah, like now I'm kind of hoping that like. Uh, I don't think it was Todd McFarlane. It might have been, but um, I, co- comic book fans like you might see it and immediately recognize the art. But uh, but I I would I would like to think that that was something they did exclusively for that episode. Nice. I like that. Um, Buffy, uh, Buffy's kind of questioning the Jonathan's, you know, perfection, uh, which Anya takes on bridge to. Um, but Anya explains um, kind of like these like the ideas of alternate universes or like universe um, with her experiences as a vengeance demon mm-hmm. as, and we've seen up close and personal how this can happen. Um, um, and she specifically starts, she, Anya starts one of the best running gags of both Buffy and Angel of <laughs> Uh, there could be a world without shrimp, or even a world with nothing but shrimp, and um, um, and but that's really all that's in this scene. Um, although we do learn that Jonathan invented the internet. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the big thing to the big thing to draw from this is that uh, it is possible through magic to like access re-write and rewrite reality. Yeah. yeah. Um, Buffy calls a meeting and she, they're at Giles's, everyone, uh, minus, uh, um, minus Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our, our normal gang. Yeah. Um, Buffy they... starts pointing out inconsistencies. Like, <laughs> how was Jonathan able to be in the Matrix but never left town? Because he didn't film the Matrix in Sunnydale. <laughs> How is he able to graduate medical school when he's only 18? 18, Which Xander replies, time management. Effective time (laughs) management. Um, And I guess, let's see, The Matrix came out in 99, right? So, so yeah, he would have had to have filmed The Matrix at some point during the events of seasons two and three. (laughs) I mean, we don't... I mean, who knows what Jonathan was up to then? Like, we only see him a couple times. That's true. Um... He's obviously taking breaks from shooting. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we also, this is where we learn that, yes, he killed the master. He killed the mayor. He coached the, the women's team. Um, Which, by the way, as the U.S. women's team has proven 
over the past couple World Cups. They don't need no man. Hell yeah. Um, I honestly don't know who their coach was, but um, <laughs> and I'm really hoping it was a woman at this point. Otherwise, it's like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But we, the, I think you just admitted you don't know what the fuck you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, but the uh, but the women's U.S. women's soccer team is one of the most successful soccer teams in the world right now. Um, their head coach is Vlat- Vlatko Andonovsky. That sounds like a guy. He is a man. Um, but listen, he didn't score any of the goals. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Um, I was like, hey, let's see who their past coaches were. And I was like, this is not why we're here. <laughs> um, so everyone basically thinks that Buffy is saying is fucking ridiculous and frankly offensive (laughs) (laughs) i love when um when buffy says like you guys ever think that jonathan's a little too perfect and at this point like giles does his signature like sharp turn that he usually saves for when xander says something stupid well no like i'm not even saying that he's he usually saves it for like when something truly terrible has happened yes that's true and like i I love that it's a nice little touch like this this episode is just filled with nice little touches um but riley backs her up he admits it does sound ridiculous but i learned to trust buffy which i guess that's nice uh so they look at giles's copy of the swimsuit calendar um and there's one picture where he's He's doing the look over Mr. His, July. Mr. July looking over his shoulder and yes, he's they see his the the monster symbol. Um that's when Jonathan comes in and he explains that he has a history with this monster and he um he gets a little confused when it's around and it kind of fucks with his head. Um and um he had that mark tattooed on him so he wouldn't so he wouldn't underestimate the monster. Which, of course, the fact that it's on the back of his shoulder where he cannot see it, that tells me, that tells us, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, but Buffy, and Buffy's like, well, let's go fight it. And um, Jonathan kind of protests a bit, but he agrees to go with it. And, of course, the gang does some research while they're away. Um, but first we get to see Spike again. And, uh, Jonathan's like, they're trying to figure out where the monster is. Buffy basically says, you know, Jonathan has like the ear of all the butchers in town where you're getting your blood. This is actually really important because Jonathan's initially the one who, um, yeah, who's, uh, interrogating Spike and Spike says like, oh, I don't know. But then again, maybe I'm lying. Um, and, uh, so Jonathan starts to walk away and this is when Buffy decides to take charge. And Spike even knows, like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, but he, yeah, he leads them in the right direction. There's a cave nearby that was kicked out by something probably big. So, I mean, it's vague, but whatever. We don't, I don't need, I don't need 15 more minutes of them searching for this. Mm-hmm. Um, while the gang's doing research, Xander sets a book on fire. <laughs> uh, well, because for Riley's like, um, he's like looking through it. He's like, oh my God, like 
this is all these things magic can do. And Willow's like, well, it takes practice and discipline. And, and Sandra's like, yeah, you can't just say Libre Incendium and then the book bursts into place. And, and Giles deadpans, Xander don't speak Latin in front of the books. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Willow finds the mark. Um, and they learn that basically it's the mark of the spell that causes the caster to, I mean, what we've seen. It makes them beloved and great at everything and, mm-hmm. like, this paragon of virtue and goodness. But, because there's always a catch, uh, in... in uh, Magic always has its price. <laughs> it, uh, in, in, yeah, the, and the price is that it creates this monster, this malevolent, vicious monster... And that's because, um, like, since Jonathan wanted to be, like, a force of good, there had to be a force of evil to balance him mm-hmm. out. Um, but if they killed the monster, um, the spell would be broken, and everything would go back to what it was before. They all kind of panic a little, because they're just like, what, a world without Jonathan? Like, no! Um, and uh, Anya, incorrectly, but I still think very astutely, is like, if that's the case, then Jonathan has a vested interest in stopping Buffy. And I like that you like mentioned how incorrect that was because, and I think that just goes to show that Jonathan isn't a bad guy. Yeah. Because in the end, when Buffy is trying to fight this monster, he tells jo- her what he needs, yeah. she needs to know. Yeah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't try to sabotage Buffy at all. Yeah. Um, I mean, he obviously is like, took he's obviously taken precautions beforehand um to like protect himself like i'm just gonna ignore this if i ignore this it'll go away but uh now he i think he realized that like oh the jig is up so and he's seen the consequences Mm -hmm. of what's happened um so yeah we get we get the they go to the cave they're attacked um and uh we get this this fight scene, uh, Jonathan fights it at first, but it overpowers him. Um, and then, uh, Buffy starts to fight him. They're, they do kind of hint at first towards what Anya was saying, where it looks like he's going to push her into this pit in the cave, but he doesn't. Um, uh, we get a brief, during this fight, we get a brief scene back in the, the apartment, which... Uh, it's just the, them all kind of talking about what does this um, Buffy or Gile, Jonathan Lesworld look like. And Willow's like, I can't believe Buffy was right. And Anya's like, it does seem unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, But Giles kind of assures them that the world will be pretty much exactly what they know it, but just without this, you know magnificent Jonathan at the center of it. And Which, of Xander's course, like, yeah, Xander, no! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, my collection! Um, and Riley's like, well, if Buffy loses, we might be stuck here in this world. Um, so, at, at the cave, uh, Buffy is fighting the, uh, um, the monster, and Jonathan kind of basically reveals to her that, like, the more she hurts the monster, the the weaker this spell will get. And we will see as um, as Buffy fights the monster, Jonathan gets weaker, 
but also she keeps getting stronger. Um, and I love the part where she, um, she does something bad, something badass and she's like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm like fucking that. back. Yeah, I like that. Oh, so good. And, um, they, uh, she keeps fighting. She knocks the monster into the pit, but it starts. It grabs Jonathan, but she saves him. Um, Actually, you know, Jonathan pushes oh, the monster. Yes. You, no, you're yeah. exactly right. I'm so sorry. Jonathan pushes the monster into the pit, and it looks like he falls into the pit with the monster. But Buffy's able to grab his leg. Yeah. So I'm credit not, where credits due. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I, it's good that Jonathan gets the the. The kill shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so to speak. he he kind of undoes his own thing. Yeah, and we see like a nice little white wave that uh, that changes all the uh, Jonathan paraphernalia uh, back to what it was before, yeah. which is honestly kind of dull. <laughs> um, there's a picnic. The the gang's having a picnic. The six mm-hmm. of them: uh, Willow, Tara, Xander, Anya, Buffy, Riley. Um, and they're just kind of reminiscing and, and trying to, I think what's fun is it's like, they're trying to piece together, like, wait, what was part of that world? And what was part of this world? Like, um, Riley has his, like, everything, I felt too tall. Who starred in the Matrix? <laughs> um, Xander's, like, really offended and he's like, and, uh, but Buffy's like sarcastically like, yes, Sander, I think Jonathan hurt you worst of all. At which point Tara like raises her hand. Um, and she's like, except for Tara, of course. So this is like the first kind of like genuine moment yeah. where the gang has Tara there as well. Yay. So yay. And she only has a little head trauma. Yay. And yeah, then Buffy sees um Buffy sees Jonathan. She goes to talk to and him. And it is it is very as as much shit as uh, Harrison likes to give the costumers, I think um, it's it was it's such it's so good to see like um, the, throughout the episode, Jonathan has had these like angel dark, costumes, angel costumes <laughs> when he wasn't wearing suits, yeah, or tuxedos or something like that. When he he either looked like Angel or he looked like James Bond, mm-hmm. and uh, now he's kind of like in what we expected him to be in like when we first met him he's in a what bright yellow shirt and jeans yep yeah striped uh, shirt yeah and like also i think a little too baggy on him too and uh and yeah like i had outfits that looked exactly like that in this time period it it makes him it does make him look smaller than Mm. um than any amount of time standing next to riley would yeah (laughs) um this is, a, this is a really nice scene to end the episode on. He, well, almost end the episode, yeah. the episode on. But he apologizes. He is like, he's genuinely remorseful. And he's like, I did not want to hurt anyone. I didn't even know Which, that that again, monster would happen. Again, is reminiscent of like, oh, I didn't want to hurt anyone. That mm-hmm. He said the exact same thing in Earshot, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, granted, like, that was when Buffy was accusing him. <laughs> and he's like, I don't want to hurt anyone. Yeah. And he he explains that he'd been going to counseling since the events of Earshot, and someone he met there gave him this spell. Because Buffy's like, why did you do it? And then she's like, actually, I figured out the why. <laughs> How did you do it? <laughs> um, but Buffy, she tells him, this is such good advice and so true, is like, you cannot do this one big gesture to make everyone like you and to 
you know, to, to be and like yourself, it's work. You gotta work hard. And he's like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And then he kind of turns those tables back on her and she's like, because he's, he's saying like the memory is starting to fade a little bit of, of what actually happened. But he's like, I think I gave you really similar advice. And I think it was good despite, advice. Yeah, he's like, I think despite everything, it was good advice. And Buffy's Buffy agrees, and it's a uh, it's it's night. Nice. It's a sweet moment, and then uh, we end with Buffy and Riley kissing. Um, seems like they've worked all their shit out, and then Buffy goes, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> Which I mean, uh, what a way for Jane to end that episode. Oh, <laughs> su- such a laugh we had. Um, yeah. That was Superstar. That was Superstar. You know, I, w- I went into this episode being like, don't be as chaotic as you were, you were last week on The Prodigal. And then just I went full chaos. I chose chaos this week. But, yeah. It's a fun episode. It's it's fun. I uh, And I like the kind of message of it. Also, it's, it's just really fun to think of, like, maybe in... Granted, I think it helps when you have seen the entire series... And look back on it in retrospect. But at this point, I'm pretty sure a lot of people are wondering, like, man, we're having, like, these random spotlight episodes on this character, Jonathan, who's, like, <laughs> kind of not really around that much. But I, I I, think, like, both Earshot... Granted, I don't... I know I give, like, kind of a middling review to Earshot, but that was kind of, like, just um, for all of the wacky stuff going on it in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I thought the stuff with Jonathan was really good, especially like the scene that he has with, um, Buffy in the tower. Um, and this, and this, obviously you get a lot more of Jonathan and, um, and as we said, like Danny Strong is great. He proved that he was great in earshot and yeah, this was this was really fun and I really liked it. It maybe Jonathan doesn't show up that often. Um, but he's memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I love just the whole, I love the idea of altering reality so much that it also alters your show <laughs> and, um, and alters the show's opening. Yep. Thank uh, you. Fringe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to give this episode Four, uh, four Rat Pack style bands out of five. I'm going to give it four boxes of Johnny O's out of five. Nice, nice, nice. Um, all right. Well, take us out of here, Jason and the Mason. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us on Booze and Buffy. Yeah. Don't worry. We're back to normal now. We'll be back next week with Angel Season 1, Episode 16. The Ring, starring Naomi Watts. <laughs> but not really. I mean, if we if we were going to do a J-horror remake on this podcast, I think we'd have to do The Grudge. <laughs> um, for, for obvious reasons. Um, I'm Harrison. You can find me on Instagram at Harrison Alexander Kaufman and on Twitter at Harrison Kaufman. That spells C-O-F-F-M-A-N. I also write a horror blog called horrorbyharrison.blogspot.com where I review a different horror movie every week. I'm, um, I've done a little... My last couple ones have been not horror movies. Um, I did a book. I did a non-horror film. But back to horror films this week with one of the best X-Men movies ever made, 
A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that series is just a whole bunch of fun. Oh, so fun. Um, I'm Jason. You can find me on Instagram at yamij357 and on Twitter at plain old yamij. And it is very important, audience, very important that you sign my petition to get Alex Kingston to be the host of Saturday Night Live next season because it would be amazing. All you have to do is just go to my petition website, www.livinginavandownbytheriversong.com. I know that's a joke, <laughs> but Alex Kingston would fucking kill she on would. Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so maybe we need to get this rolling. <laughs> Living in a van down by the river song. Oh, guys. <laughs> A lot of the punchlines for these jokes are coming from just looking across, um, looking around Harrison's uh, room that we record this stuff in and finding like, oh god, I gotta find something, something like, oh, there's something. I heard her song Funko Pop. Yes. That was a gift from you. Um, yeah, it was. It used, to, it used to live on my desk at work alongside Willow and Buffy, Funko Pops. Um, and, you know, all gifts from Jason. Uh, <laughs> all gifts from Jason. And then, you know, I lost my job. But, uh, yeah. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Booze and Buffy. Or you can email us at boozeandbuffy at gmail.com. The and is spelled out. A-N-D. Also, don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Except, uh, where was it that they can't find it anymore? Uh, not on Audio Boom. Yeah, you cannot <laughs> rate and review us on Audio Boom anymore. Uh, well, you couldn't before. So. <laughs> uh, each week, we like to give a shout out to a worthy charity or nonprofit. This week, we're highlighting the Alzheimer's Foundation of America. The mission of the Alzheimer's Foundation of America is to provide support, services, and education to individuals, families, and caregivers affected by Alzheimer's disease and related dementias nationwide and fund research for better treatment and a cure. Visit www.alzfdn.org for more information. And as always, go slay. And be Jonathan. I mean, and be gay. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I was literally...